Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Here today with me is Dr. Ellie Thiel, the Laboratory Director of the Infectious Diseases Serology Laboratory at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Thiel led the efforts to evaluate and implement the antibody test for COVID-19 that is available through Mayo Clinic Laboratories. And we spoke about this back in April. I just thinking about this, can't believe that it is now June. <laughs> Here we are, and I think it's time we talk about serology again. So Dr. Thiel, thank you for being with us today. I'm happy to be here. So there continues to be a lot of interest in antibody testing for COVID-19. Can you refresh our memories on what antibody testing is? Uh, sure, so these tests detect our immune response to SARS-CoV-2 by specifically looking for antibodies that can recognize and bind the virus. So importantly though, because antibodies take time to develop, uh, typically at least 10 to 14 days after initial infection, we don't use antibody testing routinely to diagnose active infection in symptomatic patients. They just likely haven't yet had time to mount that detectable immune response. So for diagnosis of COVID-19, we still rely on PCR tests, molecular tests, which are able to detect genetic material from the virus itself. Thank you, Ellie. I think that's a really good point that I'm just going to reiterate because uh, a lot of people that are listening to this um, might need help in explaining this to others, that there really are these two different types of tests and that we would use our molecular tests for diagnosing people during that early stage of illness. But antibody testing would really be for some period of time afterwards, like 10 to 14 days afterwards. Exactly. Now that we are actually six months going into this outbreak, what is our understanding about using serologic testing? Will it be the magic bullet that will allow us to go back to work? Yeah, so um, I'd say that we've learned a lot, a lot over the past few months um, with respect to which antibodies develop, how fast they develop after infection, and to a certain extent we know you know, how long some of these antibodies um, will last. They last for at least a few months after infection. What we don't know yet is whether these antibodies provide sufficient immunity to protect from reinfection, and that is really still the big question out there. So there's signs that we do gain at least some partial immunity for a short period of time. In fact, there's now been a few studies that have been done in rhesus macaque monkeys showing that about a month after infection, if they are reinfected with the virus, they actually don't develop symptoms and they shed very little virus. So all of that suggests that we are, you know, that they develop some level of immunity. We don't yet know though how long that lasts and obviously it hasn't been directly translated to humans. So we don't quite know if that applies directly to us. So as of yeah. today, there's still two key roles for antibody testing, including for screening of potential convalescent plasma donors, which we've all heard a lot about, and then also for performing seroprevalence or epidemiologic um, studies. Down the road, um, I think antibody testing will become more important once uh, we have vaccines available. 
Also, it can be used in some select cases to help make a diagnosis of COVID-19, but this is really limited to patients who present later on in their disease course and are PCR negative. But getting back to your question specifically about return to work, antibody testing won't actually play a major role here yet at this time. In fact, the CDC guidelines came out recently that specifically stated that because we don't yet know about the durability or duration of protective immunity that is provided by antibodies, we really can't rely on this test to guide return to work practices at this time. Well, that's really helpful to know, encouraging about the macaques, but that we still have to use caution because it hasn't been applied directly to humans. And I'm sure we'll learn more as the pandemic progresses. Mm -hmm. So I think the message then probably is, it's not the magic bullet, but serology does have some uses, but masking, social distancing, hand washing, those are all gonna still be important parts of any program to protect our communities. Well, let's talk about serology a little bit more, though, because it obviously does have some importance, and we are using it for certain things. We've been hearing a little bit in the news and in the literature about how the prevalence of infection in the community may impact the positive predictive value of a serology test for COVID-19. So can you explain that to um, everyone in ways that we could all understand? What does this mean exactly? How does this impact serologic testing and interpretation of results? So the positive predictive value, or the PPV, of a test essentially tells us of the individuals who test positive by a test, how many of them actually have the infection or the disease. So in our case, for example, of those people who test positive for antibodies to SARS-CoV-2, how many of them truly do have antibodies to the virus? So it's kind of a confusing concept, I think, to grasp initially. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot more people know about positive predictive value now than (laughs) pre-COVID. Which Um, is a good thing. Which is a good thing. But this positive predictive value is really influenced by both the specificity of a test, meaning how many false positive results does a test give. And it's also influenced by the prevalence of the disease um, in the community Uh, meaning in our case, how widespread the virus is in the region. So generally speaking, if we perform a test in an individual who's at low risk for the disease or the infection, unless that test is 100% specific, which very few tests are, Mm -hmm. we have a higher chance of getting a false positive result in that low risk individual compared to the chance of getting a false positive result in an individual who's at higher risk for infection. And I thought, you know, maybe it'd be helpful to give a real life example. um, Yeah, that'd be great. To kind of go through this. So let's say we're using a test that has 98% sensitivity and 99% specificity, which is really amazing for an antibody test. And we're testing 1,000 individuals who live in an area with a prevalence of COVID that's 1%. So because this prevalence is so low, the positive predictive value of a positive result from this test is only about 50%, meaning that there's a 50% chance that that positive result is actually falsely positive. So in contrast, if we use this exact same test in a region where COVID-19 prevalence is 5%, 
the positive predictive value of a positive result is now close to 85%. So the chance that a positive truly indicates the presence of antibodies is much higher. That's a great example. And I think really kind of is eye-opening when you think about that, because as you mentioned, a serologic test with 98% sensitivity, 99% specificity, that's great. We would all look at that and say that's an excellent test. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people forget how much impact prevalence has on how the results can actually be interpreted. Yeah, and you know, here at, at Mayo, we you know always strive to have the most sensitive and the um, test with highest specificity, um, and that is you know that's what we're offering now. Our assays have a uh, sensitivity close to 100% after you know 14 days of symptom onset, and specificity is above 99.5%. You know that's that's, that's, that's amazing. Excellent. But if you use it in a region or a population where COVID-19 is not prevalent, you still run the risk of mm -hmm. false positive results. So we have to be very careful and knowledgeable about how to use these tests and how to interpret the results. Well, and think if you were using a test that had a specificity that was lower, 97%, which you'd still consider to be good, but clearly that's going to have an even larger impact than on your positive predictive value. So exactly. it's important for us all to try to understand. So given this information on the positive predictive value and how it's influenced by both the prevalence and specificity of a test, have government agencies provided guidance on how to select and interpret serologic results for COVID-19? So both the FDA and more recently the CDC have provided um, guidance on possible approaches that laboratories can take to minimize the chance of false positive results and ultimately increase the overall uh, positive predictive um, value for, for these tests. So one approach is to use an assay with at least 99.5% specificity. And again, this is something that we've chosen to, um, to use at Mayo Clinic. The, the particular assays that we're using have specificity ranges between 99.6 and 99.8% uh, from our internal studies, which again is really amazing for an infectious disease antibody test. They're not perfect, of course, and still again need to be used judici judiciously, but um, we feel that that specificity is appropriate for a single test use. Then the second approach that um, the FDA and CDC have discussed a lot as of late is using a two-tiered algorithm where samples positive by one test would then be tested by a second SARS-CoV-2 antibody test. And ideally, these tests would be based on two different viral antigens. So one test would use the spike antigen and then the other, for example, could use the nucleocapsid protein. These sorts of reflexive algorithms are definitely not uncommon in infectious disease serologic testing, so we're all very familiar with those. The challenge, though, is maintaining two separate assays, um, and, and that can be hard for some smaller laboratories to, to maintain. Sure. And then finally, the CDC also recommends that if neither one of those two options are, can be adopted, laboratories should just really consider not testing low prevalence or low risk individuals in order to minimize the potential for false positive results. So those are three approaches that have been put out there that laboratories can really choose between based on their, their capabilities. Sure, that makes sense. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Thiel. I think this has been very helpful, and we'll probably be talking again in another month or two, I'm sure, as we learn more about serologic testing and antibodies and uh, what they mean and how to interpret them. So thank you again for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.